welcome back to another special episode of Ath Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce, and it's episode 94, and I'm joined on the line once again by Lux. Lux, how are you now? I am doing just fine. Things are starting to warm up again here in Texas. Okay, I got. I always ask this question, like, what did it get to? Did it, like, just below the freezing mark? I think the lowest it got in, uh, for us down here was... 17 Fahrenheit. Okay. Now, again, those of us who are in Canada don't know what 17 Fahrenheit is. Um, what is 17 Fahrenheit in Celsius, says Google? It is minus 8 degrees. You know what happens at minus 8 in my schoolyard there, Lux, when the kids go out to play? They take their jacket off and go and play without a jacket on. <laughs> because that's what, that's what Canadian kids do when, the, when it does that. Which is comical in its own right. But um, yes, minus eight, huh? All right. Did you get a lot of snow or do you guys get spared that? And like, we got a little snow, but nothing too severe. Not like last year's. Not like last winter. Yeah. Last year was pretty dire down there for you guys. Yeah. So <laughs> we've been pretty lucky. We haven't had too much of it up, up here in the last while. I mean, we got the massive walloping of it, I guess mid-January, but we've gone a couple of weeks now without too, too much, so that's uh, that's pretty good for us up here. Um, and we're now into week two of the uh, the good old trucker stru- uh, trucker protests in Ottawa. Well, that's still going strong, and they're honking and whatever else, so they're definitely making themselves be heard. So, so anyway. We're joined on the line tonight by a very special guest. We're joined by none other than my very own brother, George. Uh, welcome to the show, George. Uh, can you give the audience a bit of a sense about you know your experience with the game of magic and uh, and uh, you know what you do? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, as you mentioned, your brother. We've uh, grown up playing since the age of revised, which I guess was what '94. Uh, although I can't claim to have all the cards I started with back then. I remember trading off. Things that are very valuable now for, uh, a nightmare. you know, things like nightmares and whatever back in the day because we didn't really understand the value of cards. Well, um, dude, dude, those, those, in all fairness, those dual lands did not seem as cool when you were like 10. Hey, like, that's the, correct. They OG didn't seem like, as flashy. Why, why would I need this land that makes two colors when I can play basics and get this cool nightmare? So I agree. They are way less cool than nightmare, but uh, financially it turned out to be a bit of a you know negative swing on that one anyways but uh, i've been in and out of the game for i guess 20 years or so and um i guess most recently i've been on the most uh, lengthy consecutive run of playing from return to ravnica we basically got back into it uh thanks to you and started a play group that got together fairly regularly and obviously that shifted to digital now but we've managed to keep playing and keep collecting and brewing and so it's great to be here excellent good to have you on and like i said i give i give george a lot of credit for being for bringing the one to get me into the game um because i remember as you know as a kid seeing him come in with these dorky cards thinking what's the big deal and then before long he had me hooked and playing too and i will i will admit folks um I got wrecked very regularly by George and still do. So, uh, I remember my your... Sarah Angels. Yes, Sarah Angels. I remember Lord of the Pit. I remember there was a Lord of the Pit. You had a black white deck, and you're like, your big finisher was your Lord of the Pit. 
and I couldn't figure out how to beat you as my motley pile of craw worms. So anyway, anyway, that was yet many, many years ago now, and since then things have evolved slightly, but that's okay. A uh, little housekeeping here before we get on with the show. So don't forget, folks, if you like what you hear here on the show, you can always check it out over at thelotuscouncil.com. It gets uploaded, our show gets uploaded each week to the Lotus Council, in addition to whatever uh, of your favorite uh, podcast platforms you happen to uh, check out. But the nice part with thelotuscouncil.com, there's far more there than just the podcast. Um, you've got videos, and they've got uh, a stream, so you'll see whoa, whoa, get on and and play arena for you and for all your enjoyment. Uh, Periodic Court gets on and he will, you know, open boxes of, of product. I know there is a box break coming for the uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. And of course, every once in a while, there's deck techs or other fun videos that get put up there. So lots of interesting content up on the LotusCouncil.com. Um, but of course, as we stress each and every week, probably the best thing is the Discord. Uh, where you can get in and have conversations with lots of people who love magic, lots of people who love to talk uh, EDH. So lots of uh, lots of discussion and great things, and lots of very supportive people. So if you're looking to find a supportive, inclusive, uh, welcoming community, you're not going to do uh, too much better than the thelotuscouncil.com. So come and check it out. Uh, and the best part is, it is absolutely free for everyone to join. So uh, there's no reason not to uh, come and see for yourself. I think you're going to be pleased with what you find over at thelotuscouncil.com. Thank you very much to them. So tonight our show is broken up into three segments. So we're going to have a segment one. We're going to put Garbage or Great on the back burner tonight. But we because there was a banned and restricted announcement just to this morning from the rules committee. Uh, then we'll go into some more Kamigawa previews. Some, some sweet cards that are going to be coming down the pipe here shortly. And then last but not least, we brought George on. Because George uh, is in the midst of brewing uh, ninjutsu decks. And I think considering that Kamigawa brings with it the new, or not, I guess, the new, but renews the interest in the ninjutsu mechanic, uh, it's probably worthwhile discussing what those decks might look like. So that's why we have George on tonight. So let's start with the banner restricted announcements. And um, I guess this one's real easy to sum up. The... The easiest one is that there is um, no nothing to report. There's no banned cards. There's no changes. Nothing got unbanned. It just pretty much stays status quo. Um, thoughts? What do, what do we think about just keeping things status quo there, guys? Lux, you want to go crack? Have a crack first crack? And I have to admit, like this is probably and like for the best because and the, no, there are cards that we like to see banned, but let's be honest here, like those cards aren't exactly game breaking. As we make them out to be. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. I mean, they they can be game breaking if you've been able to, you know, construct your deck in just the right way. But I would agree with you there. Like, they're not as warping as some things have been in the past when we have seen bannings. Um, although they do mention they drop the names for a couple of cards that are definitely on the watch list, and we're all sort of aware of them. So Turgrid got a fright. Dockside Extortionist and Thassa's Oracle being the three primary culprits that people are continuing to be vigilant about. Um, so, but yeah, no, no, no bannings. And you're, I think you're probably right that there's just not a huge impetus to to get them banned at this juncture. Um, George, what are your thoughts? 
Well, I think, as, as Luck said, and I don't think we're in a terrible place in terms of the format. I think that depending on the play group and the level of competitiveness of the play, then, you know, perhaps some cards can have the potential to be abused. But overall, you know, I don't think we're in a bad spot. And I think sometimes letting things ride and just let people sort of adjust their meta to match what's being played is the best uh, policy. So I, I don't have a problem with this at all. Yeah, I, I think I've been very vocal here on the podcast and saying that I think one of the things that would benefit the commander community generally is just an opportunity to let us breathe. Um, we've had a lot, a lot of product fired at us and a lot of new technology adopted by decks. And one of the things that I think would benefit all of us as commander players is a chance to, like you say, George, adapt to what the new technology is that people are, are running um, or old tech that is very powerful that needs to be addressed. So we're finding new tools all the time to sort of, uh, you know, maybe put a halt to some of these uh, oppressive strategies. And the, the product just needs a chance to, or the, the format just needs a chance to to breathe and let everybody have a chance to really figure out what's going to happen. Um, now, I'm, that's not to say that, you know, if in a year's time, if we find that, Thassa's Oracle, and I think Thassa's Oracle is probably number one on the list of, of cards that I would be keen to see, like, watch carefully and then potentially banned because of the fact that it's very difficult for people to interact with it in such a way that they, like, you you can't, you can beat it because it ends up being on the stack. Like, Dockside and Turgrid are just, are, are just things that end up creating value for you. Where Thassa's Oracle is a legit win condition that I know competitive players love it because that's what they want to do. They want a demonic consultation, then Thassa's Oracle, and then game over. But uh, to that end, I, you know, not sure that it's hugely played in casual circles. I don't know too many people who run it, you know, for a giggle, but because um, I don't think it's really a casually minded cards. But I think they do want to see like. If it does start to permeate into casual circles on a regular basis, I would be prepared to see it, you know, considered for for a banning because it is hard to to interact with. Like that's really the problem with it. Like unless you're playing blue or one of the rare white counter spells, you really have a hard time preventing Thassa's Oracle from 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 ending the game. And I mean, yes, game's got to end, but you know, you'd like to have a, a fighting chance against that. Like if you're playing a green black deck, your chances of stopping a Thoracal are pretty much zero. So anyway, otherwise there's some other technical, some things about how the uh, members of the rules committee and the command commander advisory group will interact with one another to try and make sure everyone has an equitable voice at the table, which I think is more um, just transparency for us in the community, because that is one of the ongoing complaints of the rules committee is that they're, they're a little bit difficult to uh, to parse from a transparency standpoint because they they do operate in relative isolation from most of the community like if you think about it if the rules committee is i think what five guys five or six um and then the commander advisory group is again a relatively small cadre of 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 commander players that are granted well invested in the game but there's you know i think there might be only 14 of them 14 or 15 but so collectively that's 20 people maybe dictating the direction of the format for literally thousands and perhaps millions of 
players. So, anyway. interesting, interesting stuff, but nice to report that there is no changes coming up. All right, should we move on to some previews? Because that's what we all want to talk about is sweet new cards. <laughs> yep. All right, so we have a whole bunch of new cards there, folks. So the first couple here are going to be kind of linked because they are a part of a cycle, sort of. Um, it didn't wasn't complete that I could see, but these three cards definitely play into three of the major themes that the, the that the the set has. So um, I'll read these ones here, Lux, and then you can read uh, some of the other ones. So we have. Uh, Silver, Fur, Silver Fur Master, we have Yukai Naturalist, and we have Enthusiastic Mechanot. So it's, they all are two-colored. So this one, the Silver Fur Master, is a blue and a black for a 2-2. It's a Rat Ninja with Ninjutsu for black and a blue. And Ninjutsu abilities you activate cost one generic less to activate. And other ninja and rogue creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So, like, that's just indicative of, you know how they're all sort of templated. Yukai Naturalist is, again, one in a green for a 2-2. Human Monk, Lifelink, enchantment, enchantment spells you cast cost one generic less to cast. And then the mecha, Enthusiastic Mechanaut is one in a red for a 2-2, sorry, a blue and a red for a 2-2. Uh, Goblin Artificer and is flying, and artifact spells you cast cost one generic less to cast. So, I mean, these touch on all the major themes, Lux, for the set, really. I mean, you got your, your uh, sorry, you have your artifact reduction, you have your enchantment cost reduction, you have your ninjutsu cost reduction, all on very reasonable bodies, like two twos for two, that have a lot of keywords written on it. Like, Silver for Master has got a lot of text on it for a two mana two two. That's an uncommon. So, what are your thoughts? Are they, are these going to be these going to be you know hot tickets or are these going to be just limited limited bombs for to drive people playing the game limited in a limited way? I mean, until they actually see play, like I'm just in the state that they're most likely going to be limited. I think so, huh? I think uh, I think the ninjutsu one is going to be pretty limited. I I think don't get me wrong. I I like the ability if you're brewing a ninja deck, but at the same time, um, the cost of ninjutsu isn't that expensive for most things, and so that cost reduction isn't maybe as critical. And the plus one plus one is actually sometimes a bit of a non-bow, um, considering most decks will play Tetsuma or Tetsuko Umazawa, which gives your creatures with one power, one toughness unblockability this actually pushes them into a range where they can be blocked um not that that's that's maybe a bit of a court like a once in a while it comes up sort of scenario but I, I don't know that it's necessarily all that good the other two they definitely fit the themes of some decks and the effective cost reduction is powerful so those i can see potentially factoring into a few decks in the format yeah, I think, you know, I think most pertinently, I think that the Jukai Naturalist is probably going to get adopted by a lot of the enchantment decks. I think with the, if you can chain, many of those decks, if you can chain together a couple of enchantments um, and draw, you know, because you, you have your enchanters in play, whether it's, a, you know, Eidolana Blossoms or a Satessan Champion or one of the other many other, uh, you know, enchantress cards, 
that cost reduction is going to allow you to chain together a bunch of powerful enchantments and start to have your deck go off go off a lot faster so i think that one is very pertinent um and probably something worth considering enthusiastic mechanaut i'm you know i agree with you i think it's probably not quite as high in demand um i think really the only deck that i can think of that's going to be particularly excited to play that one might be the Sahili uh, Precon that sort of floats around periodically that people have um, upgraded because there's a couple of other um, creatures in that in that deck that already are assisting to make your your artifacts more cost effective. Um, but I feel like that's probably less of a concern when you're playing you know massive mana rocks or other things that are going to help make your uh, your artifacts cost less anyway. Maybe you're playing affinity-related stuff. I don't know. Like, there's lots of ways to make artifacts cheaper. So I'm less. Yeah, I think Mechanaut is probably going to be a little bit less sought after. So, but I I do think that Jukai Naturalist is going to get adopted pretty widely by uh, by enchantment decks of either the Bant Persuasion or Gris Green White. Do we think it'd have some sort of like eggs type? Oh, I mean, I mean, I hadn't thought of that. Um, what's chromatic? Like, you're probably right there. Chromatic star. Yeah. I mean, you could find yourself in a situation where you are playing this for the egg stuff and then getting it all back with uh, faith reward or something or. Um, oh, there's other ones that like bring back your like a mass amount of enchant or artifacts at once too second sunrise would that be another one that would do it right i'm drawing a blank there second sunrise let me go have a look second sunrise the player returns all the all artifact creature enchantments and land cards that were put there this turn yeah yeah so second sunrise and um face reward and cards like that so yeah maybe eggs an eggs build could be looked into which you're playing now you're into you're into Jeskai, but Jeskai Jeskai artifacts hardly seems outlandish, so I can see it. I don't think I don't think they're bad cards. Like I, that's bottom line here folks. I think these cards are gonna be things that you would look you would evaluate um based on what your deck wants to do and you know you decide. But like as uncommons, I think they're like we are we're often quick to dismiss uncommons. These three definitely cannot be dismissed because I definitely think that they are good enough um, to be considered for play. But whether or not your deck needs them or not is really the question. All right, up next, Lux, do you want to read Spirit Sister's Call? This one's kind of a spicy one. Whew. Okay, for three generic, white, black, and enchantment, and a mythic, at the beginning of your instep, choose target permanent card in your graveyard. You may sacrifice a permanent that shares a card type with the chosen card. If you do, return the chosen card from your graveyard to the battlefield, and it gains. If this permanent will leave the battlefield, exile instead of putting it anywhere else. Okay. So, what was our thoughts on this one? Hmm. <laughs> um, I think this is nuts. 
I think this one is positively nuts. Um, I think there are going to be lots of black-white token decks that are going to just abuse the living bejeebus out of this. Because, and yes, bejeebus is a word now. Um, but like, I can just well imagine you just you put if you can you lose your powerful bomb or even if you mill it there yourself, like an Abzan mill deck or something to that effect, where you've got some some mill going on, and you, now you have a way to sack stuff. This is just, just the just the the card you want to go, and it's an enchantment. Like it's literally everything you'd want in a card. Um, it wouldn't be hard to fill your deck, fill your graveyard up, uh, whether it's the surveil mechanic or your citrus supplier or your undead butler or whatever else, and spirit sisters call like sack those those lousy creatures to get something powerful back out of your yard and you're laughing all the way to the bank so this one this one's powerful like it's not a cdh card i appreciate but boy oh boy is it pretty spicy george what do you think is it wrong that i want to start throwing tokens at this thing nope no not at all i just I would... want to sack every token i can and bring back actual real gas from my graveyard definitely got to find a way to get it there but that shouldn't be too hard I think no. I think this has potential. I think it's real potential. Lux, what about you? Honestly, they starting to think that maybe and I brewed Netheray a little too early. Well, this this is going. If we take something out, we're gonna put this this in for your Netheray deck, like just straight up. Yeah, because this is just this is all Netheray wants to do. Like Netheray wants to fill your yard. And this guy's like, and this then is going to help you pull yet more out of it. So, yeah, no, I I think you're going to definitely want your sister's call to go in your Nethroy deck for sure. But I was thinking even something. I have uh, Regna and Krav, and Regna and Krav make t- piles of tokens, so I have tons of things to sacrifice to go and get. Oh, I don't know the the Grave Merchant Asphodel in my graveyard or the you know, whatever demon I've got floating around in there. Just something, just just good, just a generally all-around good value card. And, like, uh, I know five man is sort of like the new reanimation spell, like, threshold, but the fact that this is enchantment and just sits there and lets you just do goofy things with it is pretty wild. So, yes, please. I like Spirit Sisters Call. All right, next we have... Uh, Satsuki the Living Lore. And this one is Green and White for a legendary creature human druid. And it's a 1-3. And it's tap, put a lore counter on each saga you control. Activate only as a sorcery. When Satsuki the Living Lore dies, choose up to one. Return target saga or enchantment card uh, enchantment creature you control to its owner's hand. Return target saga card from your graveyard to your hand. Okay, so Sagas Matter in green-white. What do we think? Ox, what do you, what's, your, what's your thoughts here? See, I'm not really sure about this one. So are you... Okay, let's start with this. Are you playing this as a commander in a green-white Sagas deck? Well, like, if I'm building that kind of deck, then like, most likely. Okay, but let me ask you this. Do you know how many sagas there are in green and white? I know there's a couple. 
There's a couple, but like, are there enough to legitimately talk about a deck? I think the answer is no. Like, I think there's only, I don't know how many there are, but let me have a go have a look here. So I want to go find Saga. I'm going to say 15, but... We'll, we'll play all over under here, right? So um, I want enchantment. Oh, Scryfall's being slow right now. Come on. Nope. No. Four, five. Oh, you're, you, you found five. it? Five. Six. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, like you're really stretching. You're really having to stretch. Eleven. Eleven. Eleven not green even fifteen. White. So okay, so pretty much you're not playing this for the saga angle in green white because there's just not enough. So it's going in the ninety nine in the five color sagas deck. So which is unfortunate because it's like it kind of seems like a neat commander at this point, but to be real, like you're not, if there are only 11 sagas, you're not playing just 11 sagas, you're going to want to do more with it. So, okay, so pretty much Setsuki is ruled out if you're going to play her as, as a Sagas Matters card, all right? So let's, let's pretend we're not playing her as a Sagas Matters card. Um, so she cares about enchantments generally, in that return target saga or enchantment creature you control to its owner's hand. All right, is that reason enough to play Setsuki now? Like we have Sithis. Are we playing Setsuki instead of Sithis? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. So I think I have to conclude here that Setsuki might be interesting in the five color sagas deck, whatever that is. Whether it's oh geez, who would you play? Henrith, I guess. I mean, the, the obvious one would be Golos, but you can't play Golos anymore, so no Golos. But Penrith might be a good option. Um, Sisse, right? Sisse lets you go finds. No, doesn't let you. Sisse finds legendary stuff, not historic stuff. There's this the new uh, the new Wuberg commander Goshin Goshintai of Life's Origin return target enchantment from your graveyard to the battlefield for Wuberg. Okay, so yeah, okay, so Goshintin might might be or whatever. It is. And it's like a shrine deck. It's it's designed to be a shrine deck. It's whenever Goshinte Life's Origin or another non-token shrine enters the battlefield under your control, create a one-one colorless shrine enchantment creature. So if you actually got that going as a Wuberg shrine thing. I mean, maybe that's, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like a stretch. So I think... The, totally. I'd rather just play Shrines. Yeah, I think I'd rather play Shrines. If I'm going to play Goshinte, I'm going to play Shrines. I'm not going to play Satsuki. So I think we're kind of coming down to the conclusion here that there really isn't a lot of space for Satsuki yet. Maybe in time, Satsuki gives us enough, like we get enough Sagas in green-white to make a legitimate green-white Sagas deck. But, I mean, at the rate we're getting Sagas... Like they sort of do sagas once a year sort of idea. I'm like, I can't imagine we're going to get sagas till Brothers War again or Return to Dominaria because that's sort of where they originated from. But like, even then, how many more are we going to get that are actually like, like commander playable cards? So it's going to be a while before Satsuki, the Living Lore, is actually something that people want to do. So it's a cool card. Like, I'm, I'm excited to manipulate your sagas too because like i'm not gonna lie i have a five color sagas deck built obviously i'll need to update it and my commander unfortunately is golos so it hasn't seen hasn't seen the light of day in a long time now 
but um, I'm not. I wouldn't replace Golos or a five color commander with Satsuki, and just 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 because like this is does not. But it could go in the ninety nine. Oh, Satsuki would uh, is absolutely going to go in that ninety nine with Golos, and I'm going to when I choose to play it again, I'm going to actually I'm going to absolutely ask to rule zero that I can play Golos because. Playing Golos with your sagas is a lot more fair than like Golos with like vomiting Eldrazi on the table. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, moving on. We have uh, Hinata Dawn Crowned. Lux, do you want? Is this yours to read? I believe it is. Yep. And for one generic and blue, red, white legendary creature, cure and spirit four four, flying and trample, spells you cut. You cast cost one generic less to cast for each target. Spells your opponents and they cast cost one generic more to cast for each target. Okay. The, this is, feels really aggressive. It feels very aggressively costed. 4-4 four, for four, 4. And I know they're trying to tell us that the Just Guy color identity matters. That's why it's, you know, but I feel like that's very aggressive. And then... A flying and trample, and then spells you cast cost one generic less. So, the, like, when I read that, I'm thinking this reminds me very much of like a heroic deck. That's what I think this wants to lend you down, lead you down is a heroics inspired deck where you're trying to cast things that target your stuff for benefit and then get them. I mean, that's how I read that first clause. And the second clause is like allowing you to one-sided board wipe your opponent over and over and over again because anything of yours that targets and can target multiple things gets the cost mechanic, chops down the cost off of it, and you're going to be like, yep, I'm just going to do this thing here and bounce all your things with... Like, I think the one I... Like, Baral's expertise with this would just be absolutely just backbreaking because you're going to get to bounce three things for blue blue and then cast a four mana spell from your hand for free blue blue and that sounds like just the nuttiest thing ever and that's just the tip of the iceberg with Hinata so I think this is one scary but I don't think people are going to have fun with it I don't think you're going to sit down at a play group and say well here's my Hinata deck I'm just going to, you know, casually bounce all your belonging, all your, everything you own over and over and over again. Let's have fun. Lux, what do you think? Am I, am I, off, am I off base here with Hinata? And I feel like that's exactly what they're going for with this one. You, you think they want... I don't, think, well, I don't think they're going for an unfun commander. I think they recognize that, like, that this could be fun, but I think it's going to be built in such a way that it's not fun. Because people are going to really lean into that the second clause, where it says, um, or sorry, the first clause, where you cast things that target your opponents mm. and just make things miserable. What do you think, George? I think it's interesting that they put on the the cat the cost reduction on a targeted spell only, as in you're not just storming off with this per se. You're you're saving mana, you're getting a reduction, but it, it really does incentivize you to like be targeting stuff which i think you're going to run out of gas in the absence of a strong way to get your hand refilled um, you can't just keep firing 
and not um, and not replenish the the hand. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I'm sure though somebody will build a very broken and powerful deck with it. It's certainly a powerful card. I, I just like every time I see these cost reduction mechanics, I think storm, and it's not that. I'm I. You know what I was thinking there, George, and it wasn't storm at all. I was thinking like this buddies up with feather, like feather, like think feather, but now in Jeskai. And now all the only problem is for feather, like you don't actually want to play another color. You just want to be feather and just protect and like Voltron feather up. I suppose. I suppose. I don't know. Like I, I feel like the thing here with Hanada is that like the fact that it has trample on it means like you kind of want to do the same thing with this. You want to Voltron it up and mm-hmm. like just get them. So like this and feather kind of dovetail real nicely together. And then Feather helps you address the card, uh, the card issue that you run out of gas because it just keeps exiling your things. You just get it all back. So I feel like there's a lot of overlap between the two decks. Um, and then like the fact that it's got a quasi like quasi Thalia ability, where like, your things that your opponents cast cost one more for each target. Like it makes it harder for your opponents to interact with you. So. Like, it already wants to protect itself to some degree. So, I'm a big... Uh, like, I, I feel like this is not going to be as fun as people think. That's my real concern. Because, like, you could make it the feather... Like, Hanada Feather. Like, build. Oh, no, I don't want to play against that. Hanada Feather? Well, like, if you've got both on the battlefield... No, it's I'm, not fun. I'm going to be trying to answer whatever... Like, I don't care what I'm doing, what the other opponents are doing. I'm going to be answering it because you're just going to be... You're going to be bum rushing people every turn with, with cards that just bounce back to your hand and do it again. I'm going to be pretty actively trying to disrupt that. Absolutely, absolutely. You just can't let this, this player go off like that because it's just going to be never-ending cycle of you're dead. So, um, but yeah, but I also think like this is the sort of deck that lends itself very heavily to like mono bounce and mono board wipe because you know like. You're gonna get. You're just gonna get so many people, like, like I said, like Blime Epiphany and Brawl's Expertise and all these things that target multiple things mm-hmm. are going to be just and like this is gonna be a nightmare to play against. Like, I don't think people are gonna enjoy the experience of playing Hanada. It looks cool, and like this might be the one I build just to prove a point that it's not fun. Like. And I'm the guy who, like, I, I refuse to lean into, like, combo and, like, degeneracy. And I'm still going to build in a way that people aren't going to like and no one's going to want to play it. Like, nope, don't want to play Hanada. Like, ah, I see. So, yeah. Okay. okay, Hanada is done. Explosive Singularity. I think this is mine. All right. So this one, I, 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 so this one's labeled as a mythic, folks. So, like, I picked it up, put it on the list because it is a mythic. We can read about it. So, eight red, red. Okay, ten mana. Just, just ten mana spells are a thing these days. As an additional cost to cast this spell, you may tap any number of untapped creatures you control. This spell costs one generic less to cast for each creature tapped this way. So it kind of like has convoke. And then explosive singularity deals ten damage to any target. So convoke on a red sorcery. To deal 10. Do we care? Thoughts? Flux. Well, and, like, honestly, I think this is going to be one of those cards where they 
it has to be in a deck that's built a certain way. Yeah, there's no doubt there. <laughs> there's just no doubt with that one. Like, what do you, what deck do you think wants to run this though, Lux? Like, like, like this is this I mean, is. They, uh, go ahead. They, most definitely, they either like a tokens deck or like a red green aggro deck. Because you have to have the, you got to have either like disposable token creatures or the kind of creatures at the ready to be able to reduce the ca casting cost of this. Yeah, like I'm kind of thinking this is like a Krenko deck that wants to play this in here. Now I'm just going to just throw this out here. This plus six, this plus fiery emancipation seems like fun. Yeah, George. Oh yeah, no, there's a bunch of red stuff that'll make the person just die uh, on the spot if you can fire this off and not have it get countered. Um, some sort of like red-based Neheb Torbrand just maximize damage at all costs is fine. I think the problem is still going to be like a lot of these red decks don't stick a lot of stuff on the board for too, too long unless you're making Krenko. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I mean, maybe... Maybe they'll find a home for it, and we'll be getting burnt out left and right. I think Neheb, like, so you're thinking the Neheb that gives you mana when your when your opponents take damage. Is that the mm -hmm. one? Like, that could be really yeah. spicy because, like, if you can make, you know, get you get ten mana off of this, that's like a pretty big ritual effect to like allow to like sort of kickstart your storm. How about how about how about this thought, Lux? This and thousand year storm. Oh, <laughs> and that right there is basically hi. I don't like you, so please die. That's that's that sounds like fun, right, George? Come on, you're not you're into that. That'd be good, right? I I uh, I thoroughly enjoy a good thousand year storm, but let's bear in mind that this is still ten mana, and when you're storming off, like every bit of land is important. Um, and you're not usually playing a bunch of creatures that are just sitting there ready to get tapped. You might have a couple. You might have like a Goblin Electromancer or a Brawl or something like that that's going to make your cost reduction effects, um, well, those, you know, be in play. But I well, don't those, know. I have a hard time imagining this is going to well, be those two right there would be really, really quite good. So they, they, you know, if you can, they, they each chop it by one, and then you tap them for for one more. So now you're talking instead, you're chop four mana off of it, which is not bad. I mean, lots of those decks have Thopters floating around because you've got maybe Loyal Apprentice or something else that's making Thopters. Um, so like, I mean, you can... I don't know. I, I This might be funny. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I think it's interesting. I don't... I mean, I'm not... I'm, I'm with you, George. Like, I get it. Like, 10 mana is a heap. It's a heap of mana. But, like, just think of the scenarios where you could actually... Like, I know they're all best-case scenario folks here, so... Like, bear with me, but like, you flip it off, uh, combustible gear hulk, and like, make your opponent eat like a just a sandwich full of pain. Like, that there's enough fun scenarios where putting a card like this in your deck, um, would just be hilarious. So, like, the stories, the stories from Explosive Singularity, I think, might be worth playing it if and only because. If you can do it, it's going to be something you talk about at the table for like months afterwards. 
Like, come on. If you can make this thing go off, that'd be just the best. So, I don't know. So, I think we should distinguish between good and fun. Oh, yes. Um, and, like, I, this could be good. I don't think but so. But it will certainly be fun. Well, okay, fine. I was going to give it the benefit of the doubt, but I don't think it'll be good either. But it will be fun. Yeah, like, and that might why my, the reason it might because it might be fun. That might be why it makes my deck instead of because it's good, and that's you know maybe all I need, maybe all I need. All right, uh, we got up next Lux. We got Soul Transfer. What we got is this Soul Transfer card. For one generic and uh, two black, and you got sorcery. And choose one. If you control an artifact and an enchantment as you cast this spell, you may choose both. Exile target creature or planeswalker. Return target creature or planeswalker card from your graveyard to your hand. This is a pretty meat and potato sort of thing. Like this is just going to be a kill spell. Kill stuff. Kill it dead. The exile on it is kind of nice. And the fact that you could potentially return a creature or planeswalker card from your graveyard also seems like a pretty good value. It's not. It's not exciting, right? Like no one's going. Dude, yeah. this is this is this is the best. Like everyone just goes. This plays a role in your deck. I mean, it's better. It's it's an upgraded murder. Um, it's part for the fact that it's a sorcery, but you can get a lot more value off of it. So, I don't know. Lux, what do you what do you think? Does this go into the ending? Play? And. Honestly, they. This is one of those cards where they. I'm gonna have to see it in play first before I make my decision. Well, the correct response is you're gonna put it in your deck, and you're gonna be able to try it out. But yes, I agree with you, George. What do you think? I'm just trying to think of what black decks I'm gonna be playing that are gonna be running a bunch of enchantments. I guess there's like Dictate of Erebos, there's Palace Siege, there's uh, Grave Pack, there's uh, like. I don't know. I guess Revel and Riches, if you want to go that direction, accomplishes both at the same time. Yeah, no, um, that actually, is a pretty good enabler for this one for sure. Because you get the you're going to have the treasure tokens on the battlefield and the enchantment in your in your on the on the battlefield too, and so that's pretty decent. I don't know. I guess I just feel like most black enchantments make you hate it in general. So I don't know if you want to go any further. Well, let's but... have a quick look. So mono black. Let's go look at enchantments of black runs. Let's see what sort of enchantments. Um, no, I want staples. What do we got here? What are some mono black staples? Or when's the first enchantment I run into down here? So, Bolus's Citadel. That's a good yeah. one. Because both at the same time as well. Rexian Arena is another enchantment you might run. Fallen Simulac. Exquisite Blood. Oh, yeah, that's another one. It's a lot of sorceries. Not so many. Meat Hook Massacre made the list here. Oh, man. Now you're talking about truly degenerate things. Dictative Erebos, yeah. Um, altars, fashion of remembrance. There's, there's, there's some things. Yeah, so like, like... you might be, you, you might be in the in the market for it. It's not. It's obviously not as clear cut as some of the cards that are like just going to be good in multiple strategies. But this one could be, could be good. I don't. Know, I I think it's just. 
I think it's definitely playable. I think the exile effect alone is worth playing it over a, th- a card. Like if a deck plays murder, right? So let's go see how many decks are running murder in 2022. And I feel like there's still enough cards that run people that run murder. Like it's in almost 20,000 decks. Which is, I mean, it's not an outrageous number, but considering it's an uncommon has been printed in a million a million times, like you could be seeing 20,000 decks looking to upgrade their murder to soul transfer, right? So. Seems like a thing, maybe. Anyway. I just think it's going to be like a, one of those sort of meat and potatoes cards that people run, and then, like, you'll put it in your deck, and if a better three-mana removal spell arise, they'll slide it in there. So, anyway. Up next, we have Ishin, two heavens as one. Is this, I think this is me, right there, Lux? Pretty sure. Red, white, black for a legendary yes. creature, human samurai. It's a three-four, and if a creature attacking the yeah, if a creature attacking causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. And English is hard, so panharmonicon for attack triggers on a commander. Well, that's a thing. What do you think, George? Are you in? Well, I googled what commanders would be possibly degenerate with this. Um, I feel like, you know, if you want to big, build big and spicy, Cali of the Vast. If you want to build small and, you know, resource-driven, uh, Alesha Usmaza Death is a good mm. one. Or if you just want to spend 100 bucks on a commander, Edgar Markov. <laughs> Edgar, Edgar Markov seems like, seems like a, a real sweet target there. Um but extra, like everyone's building Mardu vampires, and now you you slide in the samurai in there and go to town, so to speak. Lux, what do you think? Ishin of the Two Heavens as one. What do you think? I think this could be pretty cool. I think this is going to be very cool. I don't know if I want to. Yep. I don't know if I want to get in on this one. Like this, I don't think I'm going to be building this one. I think this is one that I, I'm going to be excited when I see it, someone play it see what shenanigans they get up to but i'm not sure i'm going to be the one who wants to build it to play it um if you know what i mean right like do you want to build is this something you would build george well here's a question is this is this your commander or is this in your 99 i want to play it in the 99 of other decks i don't want to play it as a commander um well so i think if the answer if the, if the solution is that you're playing with edgar yes it goes in the deck because edgar's way too good to turn up if the answer is Kalia, um, yes. I think, again, once again, it goes in the deck. Alesha, which is the other one, um, probably once again, yes. Because Kalia, I mean, sorry, Alesha is all about activating and triggering stuff coming out of your graveyard. So I think in all three instances, and those are the three most prominent Mardu commanders, except for maybe Mar- Queen Marchesa, Um that are, so I think if those three want Ishin in the deck, I think most of the time Ishin's going to go in the deck. And the other things are like partner commanders that do it. Then. No, true, true. But then again, like Bruce Tarl or whatever, you still want. I think you still want him in the command zone. He's partnered yeah. and yeah. So I mean, like I, I like Ishin. I, I'm not sure. I'm like I think I like I think I'm like you. Like it would go in the ninety nine, and I'm not building it as a standalone thing. Good call on your part. All right, we have 
Takanuma, Abandon Meyer. Lux, you're up. Okay, this is a legendary land. And tap, add black. And channel, three generic black. Discard, discard Takanuma, Abandon Meyer. Mill three cards. Then return a creature or planeswalker card from your graveyard to your hand. This ability costs and one generic less to activate for each legendary creature you control. So, I put this on the list today, there, there, guys, because I think this card is interesting. Um, because, so obviously the Bojays Boseju is uh, the green one. That's Boseju. Pretty sure is is nuts. Like it's a nuts ability. This one's far more fair because that's a corpse churn on, but on a land, which is very it's a powerful ability because you don't have to now give up a card slot to um to the to a corpse churn which in and of itself is not a hugely powerful card but if you can fill your bin or you have things in your graveyard you could be pulling something truly nasty out of it and just be looking to resolve it in the late stages of the game so i think takanuma because it has this this clause on it which is i mean it's kind of like a cycling cost on it, really. Like you're going to cycle it away to just to mill three and pull a creature from your graveyard into into your hand. I think that's that's really pretty potent on a on a land. So I don't know, it's not exciting, but it's just good. George, I mean, I think all of these are going to have playability. I think that the effect is real if you if you're into turn six turn seven and you're not needing the land it's it's a good way to turn your land into something that's action um there's definitely no harm really in putting in the deck so i don't see a downside so i think all of these things if you have the money to get them and put them in your deck as a, a utility land that taps for colored mana i think it's good box you i think this and that might be good you're basically going to have to ensure that there's a lot of legendaries in your deck, though. I see. I think in Commander, it's not a big deal because you have one sitting in your command zone almost all the time. Yeah. So if you can yeah. have access to have have access to a commander, then you're probably okay. So yeah, like I'm I'm reasonably inclined to say this is probably at least going to warrant some consideration for your list. Now, let's be honest, folks. Is pre-ordering at like near ten bucks? Um. If you want to get some of the fancier versions, you're getting into like $15 for some stuff. Like I'm looking right now at the borderless version and it's like 13. A regular border is like 10. And if you want to get the funky border one, I don't know what this one is. This one's the other number 416 is, uh, I don't know which version, but it's like $15. So I don't like this at 15 bucks. I might like it at two or three. And because it's a rare, I could see it being a two or three dollar card come come, you know, two months from now. But uh No, I I like the card, I just not at ten bucks. So all right. Uh this is me and I want to read this one because this one is funny and I want this this card makes me reminds me of some stuff. And I want this art on my to look at. Yeah, okay. So here we go. Mech Titan Core. So two generic for an artifact vehicle. Two four and cruise for two, but five exile mech titan core and four other artifact creatures and or vehicles you control create mech titan, a legendary 1010 construct artifact creature with a token of flying, vigilance, trample, lifelink, and haste. 
uh, and that's all colors. When that token leaves the battlefield, return all cards exiled with Mech Titan Core, except Mech Titan Core, to the battlefield tapped under their owner's control. Well, what do we think of Voltron being in a, a commander set or in a commander deck? It, it, honestly, I never actually thought I'd ever see it. No, I never did either, and I, I think it's awesome. George, what do you what you? Well, I don't share the optimism of spending seven mana and like having five things in play to actually do this, including the Titan. Oh, the Titan, George! What, what about I mean? Battle Ball? Battle you have Ball. to get it's a it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to get a ten ten construct. That yes, okay, if it stays in play, you'll be very happy. Um, and yes, I understand you get your payout or you get your payment back in some senses, but I don't love it. I think it's going to be a lot of work and uh, it's just waiting to get removed. And then, and like you put up seven mana and a lot of time into this and you just get left with oh, some tears. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. Like for instance, like just, just the simple fact that you could get like, this could get unsummoned, right? This unsummoned, like you spend t- seven mana, exile five things, and you lose your t- your mech titan core, so your Voltron machine falls apart. But then unsummoned is like the saddest feeling ever. So, yes, I definitely agree with you. It's very fragile and it's very prone to getting itself blown out in a pretty spectacular way. But come on, it's Voltron. Come on. If it was even functional at baseline without doing the fancy five mana ability, I would be more inclined. But like a crew two two four is not oh, is it appealing. That the actual creature itself is pretty bad, or vehicle is pretty pretty poor. But uh, ten tens with, with all those abilities are like are don't are ain't nothing to mess with. So I don't know. Again, maybe because I'm like the 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 eternal want to play the goofy stuff uh, this and explosive singularity just sound like just the funnest thing i can possibly think of so oh i guess i'm not i have some jank to find <laughs> oh dear yeah but and, hey they, sometimes you got to put in the effort to make spicy things happen i suppose you gotta do it all right lux go to read get read for us the last one for today we have goshinte Okay, for three and a generic and a green legendary enchantment creature shrine three four, and Wooberg and tap return target enchantment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. When Goshintai of Black Origin or another non-token shrine enters the battlefield under your control, create a one-one colorless shrine enchantment creature token. Okay, what do we think? A shrine matters creature. George, what do you think? Well, I think if you make a, a five-color shrine deck, I think this is going to be really spicy. And I love the fact that it spits out more shrines. The, those shrines, when they when you get enough of them, are really powerful. I, I think it's going to be cool. I, I don't know if I'm in the market to build it, but I think it'd be really True interesting. True enough. I think, um, you know, I, I agree. I think it'd be pretty pretty neat to see it um, in action. Uh, I, do, I agree. The, whenever I've seen all the 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 illustrious um, shrines in action, I've always been impressed. 
um, even though I've, I always downplay each one of them individually, but as a collective, they, they end up doing very powerful things. So, and then now you can, now you have a way to buy them back with Goshinte. So, uh, Lux, what do you think? Goshinte, are you, are you in? Are you building five colors, five colors shrines, my friend? And, and I might get into it because, and I think this basically, you know, it's like George said, and I think this seems pretty spicy. I would agree. Seems pretty spicy indeed. I don't know. Like I just, I'm like you, George. Like I'm not gonna build this one, but I think it could be could be interesting. So, could be. I've just changed my mind oh. while you guys were talking. Oh, I'm doing do it. it. Are you? <laughs> I'm just I'm just on gatherer looking at all the shrines. There's a there's not that many. Not but the, I just feel like the spice is so good. All right, and so. Uh, just after George dumped on me for playing my Mech Titan core, he's going to go play Five Color Shrine. Okay. <laughs> it's a different flavor. It's a different okay, flavor. So man. you can play Shrines and I'll play Mech Titan cores and we'll have fun. All right. Okay. Well, that's all the previews for that we're going to go through this week. Um, now, folks, we're going to be going into a more in-depth rules session with uh, with our with our judge friend Liam uh, in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for that. So we don't lead you astray and tell you to do things that are illegal with your cards. Um, nothing sucks more than cheating un unknowingly. So <laughs> we'll get a judge and we'll make sure that we go through the rules with everybody um, to make sure that we, we exile the right things and if you don't exile clue tokens for your Mech Titan core or whatever else you got. So anyway, moving on to segment three, we got some, we're going to have a bit of a going to school chalk talk how to make ninjutsu work because we have got ninjutsu that's come back as a mechanic in uh kamigawa neon dynasty and um i'll be honest there folks i missed the first time when we played with ninjutsu i wasn't playing during the original kamigawa block and consequently my understanding of how um the, the ninjutsu mechanic sort of works is a little fuzzy I've seen it and it's done things, but I'm not sure I can understand how it works or why I would want to build decks that way. But George, on the other hand, you have played ninja decks in, in the past. Um, you've built the mono, mm -hmm. you built the mono blue ninja deck in modern once upon a time, right? Yeah, I uh, I definitely uh, did a mono blue ninja of the deep hours, uh, Delver of Secrets, uh, modern deck that was back. Whew when i don't know 2014 or something anyways it was actually pretty fun to play and it uh it's an interesting it's an interesting uh mechanic and obviously if you guys are fans of uh game nights and some people have definitely highlighted this deck or this mechanic before in commander and it can be pretty useful yeah so previously we've had yuriko as being sort of the the, the placeholder for ninjutsu themed decks um, but Ninjitsu, but Yuriko operates uh, on, on a sort of a different axis than what we're going to get in, here in uh, with Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. So let's read Yuriko and sort of read where it plays out, how it plays. So Yuriko the Tiger Shadow, uh, one blue black for a one three legendary creature human ninja. It has commander ninjutsu, so you can for a blue and a black, uh, so you can return an unblocked creature you control to hand. Put this card onto the battlefield from your hand or the command zone, tapped and attacking. And then it says, whenever a ninja you control deals combat damage to a player, 
Reveal the top card of your, of your library and put that card into your hand. Each opponent loses life equal to that card's mana value. Now, if I'm not, if I remember right, that the way Yuriko is worded, George, Yuriko kind of want is encouraging you to put big fatties in your deck so that when you flip them up, your opponents all get wrecked. Is that sort of the plan? I mean, yes, you'd like to flip high mana or high, yeah, high mana value cards to Yuriko as that does inflict the most pain in your opponents. The downside is Yuriko also is meant to be a bit of a lean commander deck in the sense that it's, you know, low mana intensity for most of these cards. Because you're looking at getting evasive threats that are usually cheap, and then the ninjutsu ability is oftentimes a cost reduction on the the base casting cost of the uh, the spells. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a catch where you're yeah you want to play high mana value cards, but also be able to play spells for cheap. And that's why um, some of the things people will get into is the split cards, where they have a an actual mana value that's quite a bit more than each individual side of the card. Right, playing. so a card like Far and Away, to... where it's got... Like, yeah, so, exactly. Um, look, I was looking at the Yuriko um, page on EDH Rack. Um, that's also why you might play things like Dig Through Time uh, or things with Delve on them, because you can... The Delve cost is high, but you can exile cards in your graveyard to defray the cost and draw the cards anyway, and Meanwhile, your opponents get smashed in the face. So, okay. So that's Yuriko. But now we have another option for our um, for our commanders. Because we have Satoru Umazawa, who is a legendary creature human ninja. He's one blue-black for a 2-4. And then it says, whenever you activate a ninjutsu ability, look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest of the bottom, bottom of your library in any order. This ability triggers only once each turn. And then each creature card in your hand has an injitsu cost of two blue-black. So, George, this is going to be played a, very lot a whole lot different than Yuriko, isn't it? I mean, yes and no. I think that the, the bottom line is to trigger any ninjutsu, you have to have an unblocked creature. So that you know, by far and away will dictate that you must be playing cheap evasive threats, whether they're unblockable or flyers or menace or whatever that makes it get through. Um, but the payoff is different. Like you're not getting like Yuriko is just aiming to smash everybody with these big flips that are going to sort of take the whole table down together. Um, whereas Satoru, you're, you're looking for the absolute bomb that has the best, either the best ETB effect or the best onboard effect once it's down and starting to right. hit people. Um, you know, imagine dropping Eldrazi's, although you don't get the, the attack annihilator trigger off the bat for the first attack, but if you get to untap with it again, you've cheated in the, the 11 or 10 mana casting cost for four, and you're now swinging at people and getting annihilator yeah. triggers, whatever. So it's it's a bit of a different Gotcha. Beast. Gotcha. Um, no, it feels... Uh, as someone who doesn't play this particular archetype, it feels like they are quite different, although you're right in the sense that you still need the enablers to make them both go. You need the unblockable critters, uh, and then your payoffs are a little bit different. Um, so, let's have a talk. Like So, 
if I was, if I was going to go build um, a, or in your case, I guess in your case, you're building these deck, you're building a ninjutsu deck. What, what are some staples that are unique to each build that are going to lead people down like the Yuriko path versus the Saturo path? Well, I think you have to decide like the style of play you're looking for. If you if you love big fat creatures that are incredibly intimidating uh, on the board, then I think that Saturo is the natural appeal. If you're willing to just squeeze out every little drop of blood out of your opponent gradually, um, and sort of gain value gradually as you go along, then Yuriko may be the better option. Uh, I think. I think. On its face, Yuriko has one distinct advantage, and that's the fact that Yuriko itself is always in the command zone, and it's a two-mana ninjutsu ability. So unlike commander attacks affecting the mana value that you pay for the, the card, ninjutsu is not affected by that. So you know, even though you've put her into play four times, you're still putting her in for two mana and getting the trigger off it for the damage it's inflicting. So I think... That's me mechanically one of the most powerful things about Yuriko that Saturo just doesn't have. That's how that works with the ninjutsu. Um, you, you get to circumvent commander attacks. So correct. Just the yeah. ninjutsu, yeah. like obviously the the commander ninjutsu that's written on Yuriko, not not the other legendaries that have ninjutsu on them. Right, because it, that's my that's, understanding. That's really myself. interesting because like. People complain about cards like commanders that can circumvent that commander tax. So um, here in the past, we've we've lamented cards like Scarab God or Locust God that can just circumvent it by having them return to your hand. Or um, Derevi, because Derevi has a mechanic on him that allows you to play Derevi um, without paying the, the, the commander tax re regularly. And now we have Yuriko, Yuriko as well too, and so that's going to be that is something that people may want to be aware of. Like if people are going to look to to build something that's going to be kind of on the broken axis here, like Yuriko's higher up there, but just because you just don't have the same cost of having to have its things like having having Yuriko essentially get costed out or cast at at full that mana value plus the tax. It's just that that that. Like that's definitely Absolutely. powerful. That makes it ratchets it up. So meanwhile, like with Saturo, so what are we doing differently with Saturo? Like, or what are you, what are we going to be doing with this? Because I feel like this is a little more flexible than Yuriko because of the fact that you can literally jam any creature you want in your deck because it says right on any creature card in your hand has ninjutsu of two blue black. Yeah, but then you're also relying on a four-mana card staying in play long enough to get an attack. So, you know, your first... or Sorry, three-mana card, sorry. So your first turn, you drop it into play. Maybe you have an evasive threat. Do you have mana to ninjutsu something big right now? Probably not, unless you just wait to turn seven to cast it, or until you have seven mana available to cast it. Um, and I suppose that might be what you do unless you have a way to protect it. I think the, the emphasis with Saturo is that you, if you want to keep getting the cost reductions on these, you have to find ways to make it harder to kill. So whether that be Lightning Greaves or Swiftfoot Boots or Whisper Silk Cloak or anything that can make it harder to mm -hmm. target, 
so it can stay around the board long enough to get one of these ninja ninjutsu creatures into play. Because um, if it comes into play at three mana and you don't have the ability to activate it right away and it gets killed before you're back on your turn, now you know it's starting to get a little bit more pricey to do this. You're looking at five mana to cast, then you still have to get the four mana to activate the first time. Anyways, so I think you really got to prioritize things that can make it, you know, protected off the bat. Whether that be you know other stuff like dive down or things that just make it harder to kill maybe temporarily just to get through one round of the mm-hmm. table until you can fire off with one big swing for some big haymaker out of your hand right. and then let me so i think in that sense i think it's a bit more fragile well, i think it's absolutely quite a bit more fragile i just um no i just think that the like i mean i always i'm thinking about like what's the what's the most devastating thing you can cheat out with your or Satoru Umazawa, because now you're not constrained by it being another ninja. You can like literally turn any card in your deck or any creature in your deck into something that you sneak in a play with ninjutsu, aka like you know, big old draws your blight seals. So you know, um, yeah. I mean, obviously the discussion about blight steel comes up periodically, and if you've got a blight steel, I'd probably consider putting it in the deck because you know, obviously putting Cards that are in the game on the spot in the deck is helpful. You say, you say um, so, huh? Yeah, but you know other cards like Sepulchre Primordial, Deluvian Primordial. Um, there are some big fatty Runescar Demon. Anyways, there's a bunch of stuff that you could cheat out and get a lot of benefit right off the bat that are enter the battlefield abilities. Oh, Archon of Cruelty. Um, Archon of, what is that? Well, that's only the yes. Our kind of cruelty does, but it's targeting one player. Which, but still, I mean, you drop their big, uh, you know, they sack something, you draw a card, they lose three life, you gain three life. That's and they discard a card too. Yeah, it's it's um strong. The the demon. I uh I have a hard time imagining Archon of Cruelty getting too far in a game of Commander, but how, I'm I'm curious how many how many Archons of Cruelty are there. Archon of Cruelty. How many are there? Oh, it's in fifty-two hundred decks. What I thought. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I guess with um, with Saturo, then it sounds like you're playing. You're leaning into the ETB sort of angle of it more. Like you're looking for high-value cards that bring with them a powerful enter the battlefield trigger. Um, would this be a deck that wants to run something like a Panharmonicon? Yeah, definitely. I think if you can, if you're going to focus on ETBs, then a Panharmonicon in the deck would be very good if you've got one. Um, I think that uh, anything you can do to double up the the potency of what you're bringing in is going to be an advantage for sure. Um, I don't know what Panharmonicons go for these days, but they keep going. Uh, yeah, price. they they do. I don't know either offhand. I can we can go find a Panharmonic. Let's see, find out. Let's find out what Panharmonic. No, not too yeah, bad. Actually, not too too bad. They are, you know, under ten bucks. You know, so. mm-hmm. that's not so bad. I thought they would be worse than that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think if that's uh, that's an yeah. option, I would go for it. Yeah, it seems pretty good. 
All right. Um, let's come back to our discussion, though, and um, other other thoughts around other ideas you've had about your about ninja decks, there, George. Or what? What else? Is, what else are you thinking about? Well, uh, well, I think so. We talked about evasive threats. We talked about the payoff, whether that be right. Yuriko triggering for big, big things, um, or whether that be big fatties coming out with ninjas that. Ninjutsu ability that they don't have naturally. Um, there are some pretty potent ninjas out there. So ninjas that exist already. So I mean, who doesn't love casting things out of their opponent's deck or out of their hand? So if you're looking at like mm-hmm. a fallen shinobi, where players are exiling cards from the top of their library when you deal damage to them, and then you get to play those right. cards without right. paying their mana cost. That's kind of gross. Um, the silent blade oni when you deal damage you look at their hand and you can cast a non-land card from their hand without paying the mana cost um there's ways to you know there's ones that remove like ink eyes for Mm -hmm. ink eyes servant of oni um you get to recur things out of the graveyard into the battlefield so these are all i mean the ninjas themselves are Mm -hmm. payoffs um but I guess the question is, like, if you if you're basing this around, they have to hit the opponent to get these benefits. So yeah, okay, great. The turn you ninjutsu them into play, they do their thing. But then after that, you're still relying on getting them through to deal damage, and so you need to either find mm-hmm. ways to make them unblockable. So whether that be Rogue's Passage, there's uh, for the legendary ones, there's Shizo Death's Storehouse, which for one black, it's a land. It's a land that makes black mana. And for one single black and tap it, you get tar- target legendary creature gains fear until end of turn. So that can help get your legendary ninjas through. The other thing would be to just bounce them back to your hand. Um, so you're playing your ev- your evasive threats for cheap, often one or two mana. There's multiple ways to bounce things back to your hand, like Crystal Shard, where you can, it's an artifact for three mana that you can tap either three color, three generic or one blue and tap it to return target creature to its owner's hand unless its controller pays one. Well, obviously, you're not playing one yeah. in this yeah. case, but um, there's cards like Cunning Evasion, where whenever a creature of yours becomes blocked, you can return it to your hand. Um, same thing with Grazalax, um, which is from the new, newer sets. Um, um, that- that lets you bounce blocked yeah. creatures back yeah, yeah. to your Which hand. Which is always a good time if you attack and like now 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 you now you give them a tough yeah. choice where because Grazlax makes them if they block you return to your hand they have to deal with it again or if they go with unblocked you might have more ninjas to pour pour onto the and then it still comes back to your hand so Grazlax makes it makes the decision tree pretty yeah, exactly. miserable. Yes. And then I guess the other things to be like mindful of is that some of the ninjas are triggered only when they mm, do damage right. versus when any ninja does damage. So um, that sort of incentivizes playing cards that are either ninjas themselves. So, for example, there are there are um, mm-hmm. shapeshifter changelings right. that are every card type that become ninjas. So changeling outcast, for example, is an unblockable one-one. That's a changeling. Um, but there's also things like Kindred Discovery or Xenograph, which turn all your creatures into the chosen type. So you can make all of your little 
you know, evasive threats ninjas. And then when every time any one of them hits, Yuriko would trigger, for example, because Yuriko is whenever a ninja you control deals combat damage to a player. So that would be potentially multiple triggers from Yuriko per turn if you're attacking with multiple oh, yeah. ninjas. Right. Include, and so, arcane adaptation goes right there with it. Right, gotcha. Seems good. Yes. So I wanted to ask you, so uh, this set, I'm previously, I, I don't remember if it's a Kama, original Kamigawa block, but now we're starting to see green ninjas. And that presents a whole different sort of kettle of fish, because like, are we going to acknowledge these green ninjas, I guess? Like, are we going to acknowledge them and like put them in decks, or are we just going to uh, like pass on them? Um... I think you know. I was I was looking at this. I think that the the payoff for putting the green ninjas isn't that high yet in terms of a ninja focused deck. Don't get me wrong; they're very powerful. Um, the the Springleaf Avenger, for example, is a good example of one that that is extremely powerful. Every time it hits in a, it's a six five to start with. Five five mana six five ninjutsu is four mana, so three three generic and a green. But when it deals damage to a player, you can return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. So almost not quite, but basically Eternal Witness mm, yeah. in Ninja format, which is obviously a staple of the format. Uh, but the problem is you have to figure out what three mana commander to put them under. Um, these ninjutsu abilities aren't enter the battlefield effects themselves. So like a Yorok isn't a great solution. Mimeoplasm isn't great. There's not a great Sultai commander that I think lends itself to this ability. So I feel like the the ninja cards in green right now are probably better suited to be played in other decks and just by chance they have the ninjutsu ability that makes them cool and interesting, but I don't know that they're necessarily right. applicable gotcha. right now. Makes sense. Um, I guess my last question is like, so we've seen this the blue-black archetype previously, uh, sort of in the, in the last 12 months, I'll come out with a like a reasonably strong rogues sub theme um, that was got had I think had a similar element of to the ninjutsu where you're playing like evasive creatures you'd flash in like a Zarasan, extract value from your opponent and then r rinse and repeat um, only to have it not go as well as people might like because. The rogues are often underpowered, and they're making up for it by milling. Um, the, ninja, the ninjas seem to pack a little more punch, but do they play? Do you think? Are you for, imagining they're going to play similarly to rogues that are just looking to sneak in and like poke somebody and get something extract value, or is the mill component of rogues enough to differentiate the two between like from one to the next? I mean, I think they're going to play similarly, but they're they're very different decks. I agree. The mill effect is, you know, tends to be focused around rogues' abilities. I don't feel like milling three players for a hundred cards each, or ninety nine, I should say, is a very tenable goal. Milling myself, right. if yeah. I, like for, for a thousand oracle type thing, is a different story. But, um. You know, I don't really like the idea of trying to mill. And the other thing is that in, in EDH, most people are using their graveyards in some way. So unless I'm finding a way to 
get rid of their graveyard at all times and keep it exiled. I'm a little concerned with putting some stuff in people's graveyards um, for them. You know, there are lots of decks out there that are right. actively trying to do that anyways. Um, so I think, in a sense, the the ninja build has the advantage that it's actually attacking their life total um, instead of potentially giving them access to more cards in their graveyard. And I think I think I you know my preference of the two builds would be to do a Yuriko build as it, it's more resilient and it sort of punches at all people at the same time, which you know hopefully uh, can help you end the game if you if you get lucky and can ma- manipulate your top deck a bit, um, you may be able to uh, inflict some big chunks of damage all at once. And and again, it's a multi-trigger kind of thing, so you may potentially have a higher chance of winning. Although I think my experience playing decks that sort of punch all opponents at the same time, you generally get ganged yeah. up on and lose pretty quick. But yeah, it like, doesn't mean you shouldn't don't really try. Like the group slug approach because they're like, hey, 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 hey. Why am I taking damage when I wasn't attacked, right? So people get get their back up over it and don't really care for it too too much. Excellent. Well, I think that's a pretty good conversation about ninjutsu and ninja decks generally to get people sort of get started and they can evaluate, people can consider if they want to build the Yuriko version or the Satoru version um, or maybe they want to go crazy and they want to build like the Yarok Saltai version with like green ninjas too. I don't know. Thought, right? Scrib Scrib sprites are a thing. Each his own. Play some Scrib Sprites, play some, you know, Delver, play some other evasive things and flash in ninjas with ninjutsu and just get them. And I think that sounds like fun. I kind of want the Yarok build because I'm, (laughs) I want to play green. (laughs) Well, I think that is speaking to the strength of green as a Uh, color and not, uh, and the sort of value engines you like to generate as a player. Well, you know, yes, played this, against this, you for this 20 is years. true. I do have a few telling tendencies in my game. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Thank you very much, George. That's actually an excellent conversation. And uh, audience, I hope you uh, maybe are a little inspired to go explore um, the the build of a Yuriko or a Satoru. And we would love to hear about it here on the cast. If you go and build one there, folks, we got a list. Um, by all means, share it with us. We'll leave our social media coordinates here at the end of the show coming up. And we'd love to hear what people are brewing um, coming out of uh, the preview season for Kamigawa. And now that we've seen the whole set, what are people are going to be, be doing going forward? All right, so we've been going a long time. It's time to wrap things up. So, Lux, you, you good to go? All right. Yep. Um, so that's going to wrap up this week's show. Um, I'd like to take a moment here and thank uh, George for coming on tonight. So George, if people wanted to t- pick your brain some more about ninja ninjutsu decks or anything else that you've uh, you've talked about t- t- tonight here on the show, how would people reach out to get get a hold of you? I'm a little deficient with respect to social media, but I am on Twitter at uh, at geo gray 88 um you can uh, find me there uh, it's probably the easiest eo gray 88 i'll put that in the show notes just in case someone wants to reach out to you um 
If you want to like reach us out to us here on the show, we've got an email address. You can email us at the F experiment podcast at gmail.com. That's going to be in the show notes. You can click on it and then go right there. Uh, no trouble at all. If you want to uh, fo- follow us and join us on Twitter and reach out to us, our Twitter handle is at Epic EXP Cast. Uh, that's where you can find us. It's probably the easiest and most uh, most expedient way to get a hold of us, uh, so long as you're prepared to talk 240 t- characters at a time. Uh, we also have a new uh, Instagram account with uh, the username being Epic EXP Cast, just like the Twitter. Um, the link's also in the show notes. If you like our decks, you can always go find them on Moxfield. Use the username, the Epic Experiment Podcast, all one word. Um, you can find all of our lists for all of our shows there. And then some other ones, because uh, we brew and things that get brewed get put in there. Uh, we'd love to hear what people have to say, so leave a comment. If you don't want to reach out to us directly, you can always uh, leave a comment, subscribe, follow, all those good things on your favorite uh, podcast uh, apps, including Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon, and many others, and includes thelotuscouncil.com. Um, next week, we'll be back. We're going to be talking more uh, more of the uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty and what we might be expecting. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about what something else that's cool and happening in the world of magic as well. But that is all for next week. Uh, so please uh, come back and join us again next week. We'll catch you uh, catch you then. Until then, this is the people from the Epic Channel Podcast wishing you all the best wherever you want to play now. Thanks very much, everybody. Take care. Have a great one. Talk to you.